What's going on, Just Goes to Show listeners? It's your co-host, Ridge. We're back with another episode. Yep, just here as always as well. And uh, ready to dive into some midweek fixtures from the Premier League. Um, only a couple weeks off since our last pod, Jack. We didn't really miss too many games. So um, still a lot to catch up on. A lot of crazy, crazy matches that took place. I know. It's nice. We're into February. Things are starting to pick up a little bit. Um, we it just had such a lull with the Premier League. Um so now we're moving. Yeah, we're uh, out of the dog days of January. Yes, exactly. Um, so um, Chris gave the rundown last week. I guess I'll give it this week. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about this the week that we've just had in the Premier League, some crazy fixtures, um, look ahead a little bit to some of the fixtures this upcoming weekend. Um, and then overall, the transfer window is behind us. Um, so we'll be able to recap a little bit on the... Um, uh, on the, the transfers that happened, um, especially towards the later, you know, the last few days of the window, some of the deadline day deal, deals, um, and just some of the trends amongst the deals, what teams are doing, what kind of business they're making. Um, we'll keep everyone up to speed on AFCON and the Asian Cup and has, as it pertains to the Premier League as well. And then Chris is giving trivia to me this week um, before we uh, look ahead to the fixtures this weekend. So um, Chris, on this past week of Prem, some big, some high-scoring games, to say the least. Um, what are some of your standouts so far? Yeah, I was actually able to watch most of them live, which was really exciting. I had a few different screens up, and um, I think the one that stood out first. Uh, so we had matches on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday of this week. Um, and the first one that really just took everyone by surprise was Luton. Uh, they came out the gates firing against Brighton, uh, ended up winning 4-0, scored two goals in the first three minutes of that match. Uh, Adebayo finished with a hat trick. And we've talked about this a little bit, but Kenilworth Road is becoming a bit of a fortress. Um, you know, Brighton just came out shell-shocked, I think. And uh, the other thing that was notable was Tom Lockyer, uh, Luton's captain, who suffered from, I believe it was a cardiac arrest event, um, probably about a month ago, made his return to the ground uh, just in street clothes, but he did a walk around the whole ground before the match, and uh, they came out just electrified from that. Um, Adebayo and Morris have been a low-key, pretty good duo up top, and 4-0 uh, is, is just an absolutely massive result for Luton. Uh, puts them up to 17th. Uh, and they're out of the relegation zone right now with three wins in their last five. So hats off to the Hatters. Yeah, I know. And that, um, I don't know, it was definitely not predicted, I think. But Luton was at home, right? And Luton at home are a tough team. We've said this a few times on the pod, right? Like, don't discount the Mad Hatters when you're going to Kenilworth Road. They have such a home field advantage, such a small stadium. and just gets loud. And, um, you know, every fan's kind of thinking this might be the only time I, you know, I can ever see Luton in the Premier League in my life. And so they're taking full advantage and making as much noise as possible. So it's really nice to see. I think even if they go down this season, it's just nice to see that they're kind of making a run at it and actually stealing some results. Very different than sort of Norwich a few years ago. Um, And uh, some of the other teams that have, you know, Derby County, some of these teams are low budget teams that just like came to the the top flight and got 12 points or eight points. They're very much... Yeah, they're very much putting them a fight, and just a couple of quick things to give them credit. So they've, they're 21 matches into the season. They have five wins. And so three of those five wins have come in their last five matches, right? So they had two wins in their first uh, 15, and their goal differential is only minus 10. 
which is, you know, for a team that we was tipped by everybody to get relegated and not really put up a fight. I, don't know, I can't remember what pundit was saying they were going to be down by Christmas, which wasn't even really like mathematically possible. Um, no, they're, they're kind of proving everybody wrong. So uh, a huge, huge statement win against Brighton, a good team, a top half team. Um, 4-0, it was never close. and they, they deserved the four goals. That was an absolute beatdown. So that was the first notable match. Anything else on that one before we move on? No, that was it. I think if you're just a small note for Bright, uh, for any Brighton fans out there, like it's just you know, I, I've hinted at this a few times, and I it, the thought it just like isn't going away that Brighton aren't as good, and you, I don't think everyone should be as high on Brighton as they were last season. Um, they, you know, everyone thinks, oh, they can just kind of reload, reload, reload. They have all these new, you know, amazing young players kind of in queue, ready to come up. They're just not as good as last season, um, just flat out. And I think, yes, of course, I, I do think it's a well-run club, and I do think that they can reload to the, to some degree. But like, you know, you just sold Caicedo, McAllister from your first team, two excellent midfielders who are both starting for you know uh, the teams that they went to, and there's a drop off. Um, so I think, I don't know, I just want to make sure that people, when they're watching Brighton, like, it's about, I, I almost feel like people have given them maybe too much credit, where it's like, oh, they just keep selling everyone for crazy big profits, and then recruit they recruit so well. And I, yes, I think I think that is all true. But it's it can also be said, it can also be true that when you sell off these players at such high values, you know, the quality of your team goes down. And I think objectively they're a worse football team than they were last season right and so you can do both you can run uh, they you know they had their well-run kind of strong club but that doesn't necessarily mean they're getting better year over year right yeah no and they've been really really bad defensively this season um they they've conceded i think they got their first clean sheet three matches ago pretty sure they were the last team in the league to keep a clean sheet so they were were, yeah um, They've had a lot of issues defensively. Um, shout out Lewis Dunk. Can't stand that guy. So it's it's kind of nice to see them giving up goals. But no, you're right. We you you did talk about that early on in the season, saying that you thought that there were going to be issues with them. And um, you know they're in ninth, so it's not like they've completely come apart. But this match, uh, hopefully for Brighton fans, isn't a sign of things to come because this was a really really ugly performance from them. Um, so moving on to the next one, which I think was one of the most entertaining matches I've watched in quite some time. Uh, that was Palace 3, Blades 2 at Selhurst. Uh, Roy Hodgson very much on the hot seat coming into this one uh, in a desperate re- need of a result um, and got to play Abariche Eze and Michael Olise together. So that's only 17% of their matches this season. Uh, they've actually had both of these key players playing. And... Uh, got off to a horrible start against the 20th uh, team in the table, Blades. Uh, ben Brereton Diaz, new signing, scored, I think it was about 25, 30 seconds into the match. Really, really nice finish from him as well. Uh, but Palace like, answered right back, completely dominated this match. Uh, goals from Eze in the 17th uh, with the ball from Elise that he flicked on in the box. That was a really nice, tidy finish. And then uh, in the 27th, another assist from Elise. Eze just a left-footed banger of a goal um in between those goals they just completely switched off just like they did off the kickoff giving up a goal to james mcatee which was deflected in but uh sure enough they uh got a winner from elise out of volley in the second half and then as a elise both had to be substituted uh for injuries which is kind of the theme of this season for palace but they do get the three points which were crucial 
Uh, and they looked really, really good. I think this is the best they looked going forward all season. And as A and Elise, I, and Chris Wilder was talking about it uh, as well, the, the Blades manager. They are two top, top players in the Premier League right now. Uh, both were linked, it turns out, with PSG this window as well. Uh, it's going to be hard for Palace to hold on to them, but I, I'm going to relish every opportunity I get to watch those two play together for as long as I can with Palace because it was really a show that they put on in this one. Yeah, it was. I mean, the stats don't lie with Palace. I mean, they're just a way better team with both of those players in the team. Of course, that seems obvious to say, but it really, when you don't have them in the team with Hodgson's rigidity, um, they really struggle to get goals. Um, really, really, they don't. Have, they have very little creativity, fluidity in the team um, to get goals when Elise and Eze aren't in the side. So they desperately need them, and then they get the goal production. Um, you know, from trivia last week, we said. Michael Lise is the highest average rating from any player in the Premier League this season, right? So um, he's actually, you know, if he if he would if he's more fit and if he kind of plays every game or most games here for the rest of the season, um, I think he he deserves a shout to be in the Young Player of the Season uh, conversation um, uh, for the Premier League because it, I mean, really, the that's the only kind of knock you can put on his year so far is that he's missed games via injury, right? Which, you know, you can kind of say that's his fault or not. But um, yeah, I think he's just having an absolute stormer of a season and it's sort of flying a little bit under the radar where Palace would be way, way, way worse off um, if they didn't have him. And of course, Eze is is similar and like in that same vein, but um, he's had a, a played a bit more games and been without Elise a few times and Palace, you know, haven't been as prolific with just him in the side. But when they're together, they're great. They haven't been as prolific, but I, I saw this stat, and I'm trying to find it. I think I saw it. It was it on like Tuesday, the win, I believe. It's like the win percentage with them versus without? No, saying? but that is significant. No, it was something like um, they haven't won without Eze in the starting lineup in like several years in the Premier League. It was it was an insane stat, and I, I'm trying to find it, and I can't right now, which is really frustrating. But um, <laughs> regardless... It was a really exciting match. And, you know, Blades, Brereton Diaz is a, is a real player. They, they're they going down. Like, I, I really don't know how else to say it. Like, they, they're definitely going down. But I really like Chris Wilder. And, like, they're not a super boring team to watch. Like, they're a team that's going to come and try to put up a fight and not necessarily pack it in on you. Um, but they're just, they're just not up to snuff for the Premier League, and they're, they're definitely going to go down. So yeah. uh, if you're a Sheffield United fan, I, I'm, I'm sorry, but there's just I don't think there's any hope. Yeah, it's tough because they never would have fired Heckingbottom before the season because he got them up, right? So you're never going to fire, or very rarely, if ever, you're going to fire a manager after he gets the team promoted um, before the season starts. But like, if you think about it, the only way that they would have stood a chance this season would have been if Wilder would have come in sooner. Um <laughs> And maybe after you know their first loss or two, if they would have pulled the trigger on Hecking Bottom, but they they have their records too poor, they're too the gaps too big, and although I think Wilder's doing a good job and got the team playing with more spirit, like they're not going to make up the points that they need. It's too late. I know, and I'm just not sure he's their championship manager. So it, it's they're in a really weird spot right now because um, I, I would say that they're almost certainly going down. But uh, regardless, this is a very entertaining match. So the next one, moving on, that is notable, I would say. Not very entertaining for us just because of our allegiances, but uh, Villa 1, Newcastle 3. Uh, Villa's kind of uh, starting to, I don't know, they, they had that, that run at home. I believe it was like 15, 14 or 15 wins in a row 
Um, they drew Blades, now they lost to Newcastle. So that, that home fortress atmosphere is starting to shake a little bit here um, coming into the second half of the season. Second time this season that Newcastle has beaten up Villa pretty bad. They won 5-1 uh, at St. James, St. James's Park on the opening day for these clubs. Um, not really a, a tale of how the seasons have gone for either of them because I would say that Newcastle have underperformed a bit. Uh, Villa have definitely overperformed, but just not a good performance for Villa at all here. Um, two quick goals back-to-back for Fabian Schaar, uh, which was very surprising. Uh, and then Villa fought back, I would say, pretty well in the last 20 minutes or so after Leon Bailey came on. Uh, Watkins got his first goal. I believe he had six straight games without a goal prior to that. Um, so it was nice for him to break his goal duck. But ultimately, Newcastle definitely deserved the three points in this one. I guess what are your thoughts overall? Um, and what do you think... Like, could this kick on uh, a bit of form for Newcastle? Are Villa starting to look like they're in a little bit of trouble? What are, what's your outlook here? Yeah, I, I, I don't. I actually don't want to react too much either way for for both teams. I think the, you know, the narrative and what I see with Villa is it's a good side. Um, they aren't good enough to beat different types of teams or or get enough wins. Um, in different sort of types of games. So it's a messy sentence, but like what, what I mean by that is like they, they lost to Newcastle the exact same way that they lost to Newcastle last time, right? So Newcastle kind of sit in pretty tight and then the second they play like very high, uh, high octane press football. So the second they get the ball via press, they're good positionally and very sound positionally and their body positioning is really tight into you. They play really tight lines. So the second you try to kind of like play in through them, they kind of are baiting you to do that. They lay little traps. They win the ball back quickly and then spray it out to one of their front three and and hit you on the counter. That's how they got their third goal. Um, And then their first two goals sort of came from set pieces and and mucking about um, around set pieces. And Newcastle have also been really, really good on set pieces. Uh, which Villa saw at the beginning of the season with Kieran Trippier sort of taking every corner. Um, you got three big lads in Cher, Botman, Dan Byrne, or whether it's Lascelles or whoever else is rotating in the team. Even when Joe Ellington's fit, there's another huge guy. So they've got some size um, and, uh, and Isak's tall as well. So it's just annoying because Villa just lost like sort of the same type of game where if you like tune in, like Villa don't, don't look bad. Villa have these spells where they're like in possession and in control. Um, and this has sort of been the narrative now for Villa for the past few, the past like month and a half. They, they, when they control the game, they're not winning every game that they're controlling. Um, they're looking actually beatable when they're controlling the ball in terms of possession. They're like very quick to get in to get the ball in a possession-based system and then spread out to attack. But then they don't manufacture enough goals and then they just get countered. Right, and so I almost, you know, I, I don't know if it's a, necessarily a formation change or kind of Emery wants to stick to this philosophy and just kind of like, you know, improve the quality and decision making because we know how rigorous he is in the in the in the video room and with team meetings. Um, but I'm just sort of interested to see how it plays out because Villa got a lot of goals this season, early in the season, from launching in balls behind the defense where pe- people are actually trying to play through Villa. Uh, we kind of win the ball around the middle of the pitch or. Um, or in our own half, we play it through very quickly into our into our central midfielders, and then we kind of or they, and we play it long into the channels for Watkins and Diaby, who are very pacey to run onto. Scored a lot of goals like that in the first half of the season, um, and teams have sort of figured that out, right? And so teams have, are like, well, we're we're just not going to put put ourselves in that position, um, and so we'll actually let Villa have the ball a little bit more. Um, 
and will not necessarily feel the need to kind of press them so high up or or um, uh, we'll kind of let them have some possession because we're not really confident that they're going to be able to do anything with it. Um, whereas like I watch Manchester City play um, in their most recent fixture as well uh, against Burnley and, and that team in possession is they're sort of holding possession in similar ways to Villa. It actually reminded me of watching Villa, but then they just look so much more lethal and are so much more creative in terms of moving, uh, transitioning through the ta- the attacking third and getting the ball into f- into players' feet in the box. Villa aren't really that good at that. We kind of get to the third and then, and then aren't really sure what to do. Um, so anyway, that's my kind of tactical breakdown of, of my frustration with Villa. It just feels like they're at a, sort of a standstill now, and I don't know if it's a new player or sort of a tactical adjustment that needs to happen, or just simply playing better. Um, you know, I'm not the coach, so I don't have these answers. Um, but I, I think that's kind of the spots Villa, Villa's in. They're this like kind of seventh to fifth best team in the league, and so we're going to see them lose some bad games. We'll see them win some good games too. Um, Newcastle, uh, I also don't want to react too much to, to their game. I... I think that uh, I think that they're a good side, um, but you know they've had some weird results this year, right? And like Villa did control most of the ball in that game, so um, I can see them sort of similar to Villa, <laughs> you know, like winning some good games and then also just like losing some bad ones, you know. Yeah, I mean they they had lost their last four coming into this one, including losses to Luton and Forest, so they've definitely been pretty up and down. I think Villa. I mean, we've talked about it on the pod before. I think. How Torres is not playing is a really big loss for them. And he didn't play yeah. the first – well, he didn't start the first match against Newcastle either. Um, Tyrone Mings obviously had that pretty bad injury in that that match. But I, I do think he changes the way this team plays. And we've seen Clement Langley just not be very good. Um, and I think he was really at fault for the first goal, maybe the second goal as well. And yeah. so that, that makes a big difference. I mean, Torres is 6'4", and he's really, really good on the ball. He starts yeah. a lot of their possession. They, they play out of the back through him. I think that him not being in the lineup is really, really important. He should be back soon, but I don't know if it's, that's like enough of a, yeah, a it's one, so hard to a one say. player thing to get them to spring on. But I, I do think it, it hurts not having him out there. So yeah, I'm not sure I, that's a difference between three one and a win. But exactly, I'm I'm kind of in that same spot too mentally, Chris. Where it's like it, it's hard to say if that's like the difference. But you know, it is really fine margins in the Premier League, and I do think that with Pau Torres, they Villa don't concede those goals from set pieces, and he's a better player. Um, and it's like, is that gonna? shift the result i mean i think that's kind of how tight the margins are with some of these teams so you know maybe yes um but anyway um i just think uh, to summarize i think if you're a better on the weekends i'd stay away from betting on newcastle and villa um no matter really what the odds are i think they're just um they're tough teams to bet against because i feel like when they're the favorites they're susceptible to lose and when they're the oh i mean i guess they're the underdogs i think they could get some good wins here in the back half of the season I would say the same goes for Brighton in that regard. Um, I just realized that there's one match that I didn't include on this outline that I really just want to touch on very quickly. I know we're kind of probably going a little bit longer on here than we thought we might, so I I won't spend a lot of time. But Spurs 3, Brentford 2, that game was insane. Um, And I have to talk about it because Ange was just out of his mind. Uh, Brentford had a good first half. Spurs had more possession, but Brentford did score. Neil Malpay is a total shithouse. He was riling up the entire Spurs team. Um, he did the dart celebration, really got under Madison's skin. They were shoving back and forth a lot. Uh, it looked like there were multiple players on Spurs that I thought could get sent off. It seemed like a classic, like Romero or Richarlison doing something dumb type of game. And then at halftime, they make 
two attacking substitutions and go absolutely apeshit. They score in the 48th, the 49th, and the 56th and just attack for the rest of the game. Um, they did give up another goal to Tony. Uh, that was a, a terrible giveaway by Adogi uh, on a back pass. But overall, like it was such a turnaround. And I watched this, this full 90 of this match, and it was so fun to just see Spurs go full-out attack mode to start the second half and just rip off three goals back-to-back. Um, and Ange is like maybe the ultimate guy of like I'm gonna stick to my philosophy and I don't really care what happens. We're we're gonna do what we need to do to to play the way that we want to and play like a fun, attractive brand. Um, it was it was crazy, crazy match. And Brentford I think have lost like their last five matches now, and they went up one nil, which is very concerning. That's really all I had to say on that. I don't know if you want to add anything, but I realized I left that one out and I had to talk about it. Yeah, no, uh, very Ange, Ange ball game. And if you're a Spurs fan, you're buzzing. You got Madison back. It was a chippy game. He came out with the dub. Um, I mean, if you're a Brentford fan too, you're probably feeling a little encouraged. Brentford just looked better since Tony came back, and we touched on that last week. So um, that's all I got on that fixture too. Yeah, Malpe's scored in his last four games too, which I don't, he's probably never yeah. done before. So, um, okay, next one. This is a really, really big result for the outcome of the season, I think. Um, and we'll get into this weekend as well. But Liverpool 4, Chelsea 1. This was an absolute shit pumping from Liverpool. There's really no other way to say it. Um, Connor Bradley. <laughs> what is going on? Goal and an assist. Um, the 20-year-old. I think this was this is his second uh, appearance for Liverpool for the senior team. And he's played two Premier League matches now. He has one goal and three assists, filling in for Trent. Uh, I, I don't really know where that even comes from. Obviously, he's a youth player. He's, he's talented. His goal was really nice. Um, but this was just over from the get-go. I think uh, Darwin Nunez hit the post four times, and including on a penalty, hit the, hit the post, and Liverpool still won 4-1. Um, I think this was like a really big statement performance for them, saying we are very much a threat to take down City for the title, and there's a reason why we're top of the table right now. Yeah, it's it's crazy. The XG that Liverpool are manufacturing against some supposed top six sides, right? Like, I mean, against uh, Newcastle, they set the record for XG created in a game. This game, like you said, Darwin's the first player in Premier League history to hit four posts slash crossbars in a game. Hit the woodwork four times in a game in Premier League history. He didn't history. even score. Um, yeah, he didn't score, but he did get an assist. Um, yeah. And uh, and so they're they're I mean they're putting a lot of goals past all with Mo Salah not in so I think if you're a Liverpool fan you're pretty encouraged that like hey you know when Mo gets on a little bit further in his career or you know in the next few years as we kind of phase, phase him out of the team and he becomes more of a vocal leader like you got enough firepower right you're not you you got enough goal scores kind of to get goals elsewhere you're also feeling pretty well good and not only him. not only Mo in this one but no Trent or Andy Robertson either. Yeah, and that's the other thing I was going to say. You got to feel really good about you know the right back position as well, especially if you want to move Trent into midfield. You know, with uh, that, which has been a you know a big topic in English in the English media over the past few years. Where is he going to play this summer in the Euros? And then Connor Bradley looked amazing. I, I don't want to. I mean, listen, Connor Bradley's game was nuts. It was awesome. I, I don't think. Yes, I think. What am I trying to say? I think players can come into the Premier League and have a really good game. You can have a game where you're doing everything right and you have an awesome game. It's totally different to do it for seasons on end and years on end, and and that takes class. Like you can have games where you're in good positions and good things happen. I'm not saying Connor Bradley's a bad player. He could be a world class right back in his day and could end up having going on to have a great career. 
but I don't. I think people who are calling for like Bradley to stay in the team and Trent to go to central mid or anything like that, like he had a good game. He'll still be the backup to Trent, I think, for, for the foreseeable future. Um, but if you're a I mean, Liverpool fan, you're just kind of feeling good about everything that's happening right now. We've seen a lot of uh, guys go into Major League Baseball and bet 400 in April and then not finish out the right. season in, in the majors. Right. So, um, you know, there's going to be flashes of that, but it's really encouraging. And I think I, I wanted to say, I believe um, when we recorded our last pod, I think two weeks ago, we did not have the news on Jurgen Klopp. Um, I, I really think that's going to be a big boost for this team coming down the stretch of the season is knowing this is Jurgen's last year. They have a lot of guys that have been with this team for a while. Uh, like Van Dyke and Allison and Mo and Trent and you know like a lot of these guys that have been un- managed by Klopp for years and then knowing that this is his last season I think they're going to push on a little bit harder um, but this is a statement statement game we're going to get into our prediction for this weekend they have a huge match against Arsenal on Sunday we'll, we'll talk about that at the end of the pod but I just wanted to say that uh, it was it was very impressive and Chelsea had been starting to turn a little bit of a corner it looked like this was two steps back. I mean, this was just showing that they're not ready to compete with the, the elite Premier League clubs right now. Um, so it's not, not probably not a fun watch for Chelsea supporters. But um, yeah, I, 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 I do I do want to say, like, I agree I, uh, on the Klopp news. I mean, anyone who thinks that I mean, Klopp's a smart guy. He did this on purpose. Right. He announced um, in January that he's going to, you know, leave the club at the end of the season, made a little emotional video about it, got released on social media, talked to his team about it. Like he knows that that could be the difference. It could give them the extra inch to go and win the title. Right. So if he's on the if he's on the seat, like I might resign at the end of the year, I might not. Um, you know, he's going to say, yeah, I'm going to quit. Alex Ferguson did this. Alex Ferguson said he was going to retire at the end of the season did for a minute and then came back and managed again and then resigned again, right? So like there's precedent here. Klopp knows it's going to lead to a little bit more motivation and togetherness. Like they're definitely going to, you know, players going to lead with the narrative and he's got a player-led room of people who have worked for him for years now who are going to say, let's do it for the manager. And that's going to bring the squad together. So it's very strategic. Not not very, yeah. Anyone who thinks that it wasn't a a tactical move um, and a psychological move by Klopp is is foolish. Like he's he's definitely doing that intentionally. Agreed. He plays mind games all the time, and he it's just the last dance for Liverpool. I I think he he knew exactly what he was doing. I don't think it's necessarily like a selfish, personal look-at-me type thing. I think he completely was just thinking this will have the team kick on a little bit more and and want to win the title that much more this season. So um, last one. Again, we're going a little bit long here, so we don't need to talk too much about it, but this was an insane, insane match. Uh, Wolves 3, Man United 4. didn't watch this from start to finish, but did see all the highlights and did watch the end of the match as well. This was insane what happened. Uh, United, first half, 2-0, probably one of their best halves of the season. Goals from Rashford, who was just uh, <laughs> under some media fire um, for being out at a nightclub and then calling in sick the next day uh, for their FA Cup match. Um, he ended up starting and scored in the fifth minute. He's been really, really off this season, so that was big. Hoyland gets a goal, 2-0, dominant first half. And what happens? We, we see Man United be Man United, uh, concede a penalty. Then McTominay, who has been one of the best like super subs you can imagine this season, scoring off the bench all the time, makes it 3-1. You think, okay, United's safe. They give up another goal. And then Pedro Neto... Uh, who drew the penalty earlier on, scores a great goal uh, in the 95th with 
several United defenders way out of position. Just should never be ahead of the ball. Made no sense, but he gets a great goal. And then who who else but Kobe Mainu, the 18-year-old, in the 97th minute, two minutes later, with a nutmeg and then a top-of-the-box just curling finish into the side netting to get United three points, 4-3, and save them from a humiliating uh, potential result there where they blew two leads. Um, this was this was an insane, insane match, and United desperately needed the points. Wolves uh, have been a little bit better than we would have thought this season. We've talked about Gary O'Neill. They put up a big fight in this one. Having Pedro Neto back is huge. They're, they're 11th in the table, but United could not have afforded another collapse like this. Uh, Ten Hag, and, and it, with Rashford this week, too, um, just getting shit on by the media. I think they needed this one. It was ugly, but they got it done. Yeah, and what an interesting week. I mean, just like reflecting on the past couple games we talked about, right? Like the stars of the show are Adebayo, Michael Lise, Kobe Mainu, right? Uh, Connor Bradley of, of these guys, a lot of young academy players, not exactly stars um, that, that we're used to seeing. You know, the Kevin De Bruyne is, the Hollands and um, Salas and, and such and such. So um, I think just a really good example of how deep some of these squads are um a good sort of feature of premier league football um and you know as we segue here into talking about transfers maybe a good reminder why not that much business is being done even when we have so many players away you know we've had so many players away over the last month at the asian cup and afcon um in the premier league you're not seeing a ton of business being done i kind of you know you might have initially thought with all these players away traveling and excluded from squads you know um our team's going to do some business to kind of bring in reinforcements and one of the quietest January windows we've ever seen. Um, and, and players actually looking into the teams actually looking into their Academy instead. Um, and what a goal by Kobe Manu. It was, it was immense. So, um, yeah, I think that segues nicely, Chris, into just talking about the window overall and some of, some of the standouts that we saw, um, standout late transfers we saw notable late transfers that we saw. Um, so you want to touch on a few of those. Yeah, we're just going to hit them kind of quick here. And if you have anything you want to add on any of the players, we'll talk briefly on them. Um, like you said, quiet window overall. The biggest spenders of the window, I think there was about a million, hundred million uh, pounds spent total in transfer fees. Biggest spenders were actually Crystal Palace, shockingly, um, who finally <laughs> signed a right back. They've been dealing with Joel Ward, Nathaniel Klein for years. Um, Joel Ward's a cl- club legend. I don't want to talk down on him, but well, well past his prime. Um, so they signed Daniel Munoz, a uh, Colombian international from Genk, and uh, he seems like a pretty good goal-scoring threat. Um, he, I think, was influenced quite a bit coming to the club by Jefferson Lerma, fellow Colombian. So they finally addressed the needs at right back. And then they also signed highly touted uh, central midfielder Adam Wharton from Blackburn, uh, who just turned 20 years old and has been starting pretty regularly uh, for Blackburn. I think he's got like 16 appearances this season. Uh, should hopefully help fill in their their issues with uh, Chick DeCore being out for the season. He's a little bit more of a defensive central midfielder. So two really big signings. I think a lot of Palace fans would have liked to see them uh, bring in another attacking threat too, like a, an actual out-and-out striker. But they ended up holding on to John Philippe Mateto, who's played a little bit better. So any uh, any thoughts on these guys that Palace brought in? Yeah, I just think Palace are operating, um, you know, at the inverse of the market trend, right? Like a lot of people, a lot of clubs have spent a lot of money these past uh, summer and previous January and previous summer. Palace have spent very, very little. 
Um, and, you, you know, I, maybe I'm being an optimist, but I do, them being the biggest spenders this window is interesting. Um, it, they may have gotten some better deals in this window as a result. So teams who were hoping to make some sales, balance the books, um, you know, teams who are usually banking on, you know, some outgoing player sales in January, there's just, a, there was just a lot less of that, right? So Gank and often selling club, um, uh, Blackburn, who's produced, you know, quite a bit of talent, invests pretty heavily into their academy. Um, you know, so I'd like to think that maybe Palace did some good business there, just operating kind of um, the opposite of a market. It was sort of a, um, a good time to make buys because there weren't a lot of buys happening. So maybe you could kind of get a cut rate. There weren't like seven or eight teams competing to sign Wharton at the same time, right? They weren't getting in bidding wars. So that's sort of that's sort of my, my optimistic take on Palace being the highest spenders. They, they went with player needs and they went sort of against the market trends, which I think hopefully is crude business for them. Yeah, definitely. And they've done a really, really good job, probably better than anybody at uh, buying players Wait, out of the I, championship. So. I think I just said crude. I meant You did say business. crude. Crude business. <laughs> um, that's like, that's business. the sequel, Crude's 3, Crude Business, um, mm-hmm. that, that animated series. But no, yeah, crude business, I think it's a very different <laughs> meaning than shrewd. So um, yeah, I knew what shrewd. you meant. I knew what you meant. Thanks. I was just going to like let it slide and hope people thought like they you said shrewd. But, um, Thanks. No, they've done a great job about uh, buying players from the championship, though. That's where Eze and Elise both came from. And uh, Mark Gay, he had played in the championship before they signed him as well. So uh, they've been very successful at uh, developing those players. Um, Which, next yeah, one. And it, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say that that's a, that's a trend, right? Like people are starting to figure that out. Like, whoa, there's really good players in the championship. And mm-hmm. I, I'm saying people are starting to figure that out. Like it's an unknown thing. But internationally, it's starting to become more common. Um, we saw... It's sort of rare that you'll see, you know, Italian, German, Spanish clubs kind of doing business with championship teams in England. It sort of tends to be top division to top division. Um, just from a scouting network perspective, you know, uh, the foreign countries won't know a lot about the players, you know, in the lower leagues of England um, to be able to scout them effectively. And so, sort of interesting. You saw a lot of links abroad with championship players this window. Um, so Adam, Adam Wharton was linked with a few teams abroad. Um, you saw, uh, I think I saw like, uh, Lazio were in for like three different championship players. Um, and, uh, and so just a little bit of a different, maybe Carlos that's Alcaraz. Kind of to keep. Yeah. Carlos Alcaraz went to Juventus from Southampton. So, uh, with an option to buy for 40 odd million euros. So it's sort of just different. We haven't seen that in the past. We haven't seen, um, you know, big player sales from the championship. And I think that's, you know, an indication of kind of the state of the European football pyramid right now where England's on top. And so teams are thinking, well, we can't buy players from Premier League teams because if we're the top, you know, Juventus is like the top team in Italy, right? And they're having dipped into the championship to get players from England, right? So um, I think just a, a good indication of sort of the power dynamic across Europe right now with how dominant England is. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna skip ahead then in our outline because an interesting case of that, um, not this season, but Bren Buriton Diaz, uh, right, was a very successful player in the championship who then went abroad to Villarreal after uh, scoring a ton of goals, and then now is coming back uh, to Sheffield United, and he's already scored two goals in two Premier League appearances. He was the one that I mentioned scored uh, in the opening minute against Palace. Guy's proven. He has a really, really fascinating uh, origin story. So they brought him in, and then on deadline day, brought in Mason Holgate on loan from Everton. Uh, so 
a couple of reinforcements there for Blades as they try to scramble and, and hold it together in the Premier League. I think both these guys could actually be pretty good for them. I'm not a huge Mason Holgate guy, but um, another option for them. So uh, any any word on these two? And it's, it's funny because you were just talking about the championship international pipeline there, and Brereton Diaz fits that mold. Yeah, exactly. I, and Brereton Diaz is a pretty good player. He had some really good championship seasons. was actually linked with some of the promoted clubs in the summer. Went to Villarreal. People thought, oh, he speaks you know a little bit of Spanish, and you know he grabbed the Diaz in his name, so maybe he'll fit in abroad. Villarreal is a funky club. When people go abroad there, people either like fit in and gel. Um, I think about like Etienne Capou. Um, I think about um, Francis Coquelin, um and so, so and. Um, Juan Foyth, some players who have like left the Premier League to go and play at Villarreal for the past few years. Um, but then there are some players who just go there and like it just never pans out. Like they don't get game time, they never play. It's it's very very strange. So they just sort of like never settle into the team. Like Villarreal signed him in the summer and just loaded it back to Blade straight away. So I don't know if that's like homesickness, their player integration philosophy, or, or what that is. Uh, Villarreal actually just picked up. Um, uh, Bertrand Traore from Aston Villa, so yep. Villa like agreed to terminate his contract, and then he just jumped to Villarreal when he plays, you know, effectively the same position as Bertrand and Diaz. So very interesting. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay, couple, I have three more here that I wanted to mention. So Calvin Phillips to West Ham. We did talk about Calvin Phillips on our last pod, mm-hmm. but he hadn't had a, got a destination yet. Uh, so he's going on loan with the, reportedly a fairly big fee, and then I believe. Uh, West Ham are paying his full wages, which is about 140,000 pounds a week, is what I read. I can't confirm 100%, but uh, he did give away a goal in the third minute of his debut. Uh, really bad back pass, and uh, so not a great start as a hammer, but did go straight into the starting lineup. Um, this is an interesting move. I don't know. West Ham have, they kind of like to sign higher profile players, I think. It doesn't always work out for them. Um, I, I, it's curious, but you know they were just trying to loan out Saeed Ben Rama and um, Maxwell Cornet was linked with a loan move. They bring in a lot of these guys that have played at a high level but aren't always successful. Like Danny Ings is another one who is kind of just faded out of this squad. I'm not really sure if I, I buy into their transfer strategy. Um, well, I mean Calvin Phillips, there's no buy option, so it's short term anyway. But do you think this is going to be a successful move for him or for West Ham? I mean, this is, Chris, it's so true. It's like so much of their business they've done over the past few years. They've had some weird signings, right? Sebastian Haller, club records uh, fee. Gianluca Scamacca, massive fee. Meanwhile, like Mikhail Antonio just stays with the team and plays better than both of those both of those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, they've signed they've signed Felipe Anderson, big 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 money signing from Italy, Brazilian winger who like had a few games for them where he was decent. He looked pretty um, good and then just flamed out. Yeah. Yeah, even side Ben Rama was like the man at ben Brentford and like doesn't really get into the starting lineup um, um, at at Newcastle. And then they sort of they've done a, a weird bit of business now where like Ben Rama's gone out on loan. There was issues with his paperwork. Fornals was linked with a move away. Yeah, Fornals is the other have, one. That's yep, yep. Yeah, yeah, and 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 so you're totally right. They have all these like high profile guys, um, and 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 then they don't seem to like be able to get the game time across all those players. Um, and then some of them leave and some of them fizzle out or some of them, you know, aren't as good as, as they anticipated, but they spend a lot of money to get them. So it's just weird. It's weird, weird, weird. Um, and then on the back of obviously selling Declan Rice, um, you know, for a club record fee. Um, yeah, it's just hard. They have this weird spot in the market where they're like, 
there's not many teams like them <laughs> where it's like hard to tell. You can, th- I, I think it, it seems like a little bit of ego in the, in like the boardroom and like the, the chief executive and ownership room where they think that they're like one of England's oldest clubs and need all these prestigious big name players. And they play at the London stadium and they're a big team in London, but it's like, uh, they're just n- nowhere near the level. I mean, there are eight clubs in the Premier League who are better than them. It's, it's kind right. of, so, yeah, no, I completely agree with you. And that's exactly what I was getting at. It, it kind of reminds me of Everton of like maybe five or six years ago when they were signing yeah, like yeah, Idrissa yeah, Ghana Gay and Fabian Delph and, and these guys that are like, all a, right, well, we know these names, but they're not necessarily going to be good players for you. It's just like weird, yeah. weird moves that are overpriced. And then they're they're not going to like work, work out long term. Um, yeah. I don't know. Like if I, have a, if I have a big name player at my club who's high, like if I'm looking for a team like let's say I have, a, I have a player on my team who's got high value who I'm like, I can sell him this window and make a shit ton of money. Um, who the first person I'd send an email to would be, <laughs> first club I'd send an email to would be West Ham, right? Yeah, I feel like they're like right? the most, I mean, they're, they're, they have the most reactive transfer strategy where they're just reacting to whoever's on the market, who's available, who are the biggest names, rather than like, I don't really see them, you know, have a multi-year you know, identifying positions, talent, development in the team. It's also an old squad that they put out too. Really um, old. Week over, week over week. So it's it's interesting. I think one of the more reactive transfer strategies, but, the, you know, they just had a good season last year. They've been doing all right under Moyes. So I don't know. Maybe they're, like, finding a way to kind of um, go in against the current a little bit. You know, you can't speak too poorly about them when they haven't been, like, bottom. No, they've been, they've been, f- years, they've been okay. It's just, I don't, it's, like, not the way that I would want to build a team. You know, like bringing yeah. in all these old guys, high-profile guys you're going to overpay for. That, Like a Danny Ings is a perfect example. It's like this guy's yep. north of 30. Why did they bring him in? They, they never play him. They're going to, you know, like you said, like they bring in these guys and then just play Mikel Antonio over them, who <laughs> is not really anything special at this point in his career either. It's so weird. But um, regardless, I mean, Calvin Phillips, is he's 27, but it's again, it's, it's an expensive loan. A guy who hasn't played in like two years and makes a mistake three minutes into his first match. It's like, well, who could have seen this coming? So, um, all right, next one, Forrest, two late moves. Uh, first one, Gio Reyna from Dortmund. Um, American, uh, another guy who's had his injury issues, but is young, pretty talented. Uh, there was a lot of drama with him related to the U.S. men's national yep. team uh, at the last World Cup. Um uh, but they, they could use more reinforcements, I guess. I mean, we, we talked about Forrest with this all these FFP issues. Uh, I don't really know if they need to, like, grow this the squad, but bringing in a couple of key players could help them, I think. Uh, I don't, I'm don't i not really big on Gio Reyna, but we'll see. Seems kind of low risk as long as they're not violating any more FFP stuff. Yeah, I mean, low risk, low upside too, right? There's no yeah. buy option on him, um, you know. Do you do they really need an attacking midfielder in that position? I think Morgan Gibbs White does a really good job. He's way better, um, I think. But yeah, I mean, maybe just for cover. I, I don't know. It, it doesn't really knock my socks off. <laughs> I'm sure like at yeah. the, the NBC Sports people are going to be freaking out about it. Um, I think it's more. But, yeah, I think it's more. It might be a little bit more of a marketing ploy, right? Like uh, an American fan base attraction, obviously with Gio Reyna, and then also you know Dortmund. We're obviously trying to get rid of him. He's had similar cultural issues and and, and, yeah. and squad issues um, at, on the back of the World Cup as well. So he he needs to rebuild his rebuild his reputation somewhere. Um, and maybe Forrest thought that, that hey, we can get a good player for very cheap. 
And then if he likes us, he's going to go back to the club, throw up a stink anyway, um, and they're probably going to sell him in the summer. So who knows? Um, and then they also brought in Matt Sells from Strasbourg, another goalkeeper. So now they have three goalkeepers, and they've signed all three of them within the last year. And Matt Turner, um, Vlakadimos, um, the Greek national team goalkeeper, and then Matt Sells. Um, so bought three goalies in the last year. Yeah, and I mean, they uh, Turner conceded a really, really bad goal to Gabriel Jesus this week. I think that might be that might have pushed them over the edge, being like, "All right, we need to get a third goalkeeper." And I think it was honestly, I think it might have just been that one goal. It was just like no angle near post, beats him on the ground. It was it was really, really rough. So uh, another American involved for Forrest there, but we'll see. Matt Sellins, I think he's like thirty one. It was a six million dollar deal, so um, maybe that will be a little bit more stable for them in, in that uh, last one. Um, I think this one could potentially could be the biggest impact out of all the ones we talked about, at least for the rest of this season. Uh, Armando Broya loaned to Fulham from Chelsea. Again, no buy option. Yeah, I think Broya is a good player. Um, and I, I kind of hope he gets, I don't know if I hope he gets on or not. Cause if he scores a bunch for Fulham, he'll go back to Chelsea, be highly valued. Chelsea needs to figure out what they're doing up top. Of course. Um, and Broya can't really get regular game time. Um, so it's interesting. And, and he went out on loan to Southampton and had a good season, uh, you know, last year. So, um, yeah, I hope he does well. The All the transfers, and as we were talking kind of offline, Chris, all the transfers in this, you know, the late business seem to be all loan to no buy options. Yep. Right? So all, all, all loans with no buy options. So just thoughts on like why that is? Like, is, there, is it people like frantically trying to get the deal done at the end of the deadline? Or what do you think? I don't know. It's interesting. I mean, I think there could be some financial fair play issues. I think a lot of teams are spooked right now. But also... I mean, reading about these, there were a lot of, um, like Calvin Phillips, for instance, during the, all the negotiations that West Ham had with Man City, there were rumors of a buy option. And I think West Ham wanted to incorporate one into the deal. The, the number I kept seeing was around $40 million, And it seems like they just couldn't come to an agreement. So I think there is still some eagerness or like some effort on some of these teams to include a buy option. And maybe the teams selling are just thinking, all right, um, like a Dortmund with Gio Reyna. Hey, let's get him out for the next four months. Let's see if he has a really good performance for Forrest, and then let's increase his value in the summer when we want to sell him permanently. Calvin Phillips hasn't played in two years, English international. Maybe we can get him enough game time at West Ham so he's going to start or, or at least get some game time at the Euros this summer, and then we can sell him for more in the summer. So I think it might have more to do with the selling teams than the buying teams, actually. And then you look at the same thing with Chelsea and Broya, right? Um, he hasn't really played consistently for Chelsea. He goes to Fulham. He kicks on, scores goals. I mean, they could use a striker. Uh, Jimenez, I think, is hurt, and they sold Mitrovic last summer. So maybe he maybe he gets them eight goals in the second half of the season here, and then we can sell him for an extra ten or fifteen million in the summer. So that, that's kind of my theory. I don't know what your thoughts are. I know we didn't re- we talked about how it's interesting. We didn't really discuss the reasons why it might be taking place. So what are your theories? Yeah, I think it goes back to sort of what I was saying about uh, Palace's business, right? Of like, um, it's it's not a great market if you're selling a club right now because there's not a lot of spent, not a lot of teams that teams are nervous about FFP, right? They're nervous about the sustainability rules, so there aren't a lot of teams that are raising their hands saying, "Hey, we'll throw in 25 million in the pot for Adam Morton," right? So Palace are able to pretty much be the only bidder on on him as a player. So for an example, so I think a lot there's not a lot of teams buying, so therefore if you're a selling club. Let's say you're, you know, City, and you've got Calvin Phillips, and you're, you're, 
you know, trying to offload him. You're not trying to get locked in based off of what the uh, locked into a future transfer fee in the summer based off of what his current value is when no one's bidding for him, right? It's not a not a lot of players or uh, teams are buying players right now, and so the transfer fee is objectively just lower right now. Um, than what it's going to be in the summer, especially if, like you said, the players get game time and play. So I think that's why a lot of these teams are trying to not, they're trying to see beyond just this January market valuation period of such a quiet window um, and say, you know, we're not going to get, we're not going to lock ourselves in now for a fee that we'll regret in, you know, five months. Um, and so that's kind of my my thinking uh, behind a lot of these selling clubs doing that. I also think it's just it's a unique time in English football too, where like I look at all these loans that are happening kind of across teams and across top teams in the Premier League, and just different than what I uh, what I remember the loan system sort of being originated for. Right, the loan system was the system where you'd loan out a player so he could go and get first team experience. Most often, younger young players, right? So they couldn't break into the first team. You'd loan them out. But now these squads sort of use this loan option, you know, and with the financial fair play regulations, this loan option kind of becomes this w- this way to like have a transfer, but half float a transfer because then you can like time the sale at a future date in the window, right? Like um, I think about like Ma- Neymar going to PSG or for a loan at first and then them buying him at the end of that just so they could delay when they paid the transfer fee. Mm-hmm. There's just like... The, the loan option is just increasingly common, a lot more common than it used to be a few years ago um, to sort of, you know, for fight, for manipulating your book, um, you know, your, your, your P&L sheet. And then also uh, it's just a different tool where it's not all young players that are kind of being loaned out these days. Well, um, I, I think so it's, it's just, just it's just interesting. I think it's also a product of just football being more of a business than it ever has been. And, and that's with these transfer fees being so big now. You know, there's a lot of clubs like a Chelsea or Man City that can bring in players for pretty cheap when they're young, and then knowing that they're probably never really going to break into their first team, like Armando Broya, uh, for instance, he's probably maybe not capable of being Chelsea's number nine. So we bring him in for pretty cheap. We loan him out a couple of times, kind of flaunt him and, and put him on display, show everyone that he can play, and then we'll sell him for a profit down the road. So um, they, they don't have the time for him on their end, but they're happy to let someone else pay some of his wages or give them a fee to basically just advertise his services to other clubs for them in the meantime. So Yeah, it's interesting. It's like buy, instead of buying a home, like back in the day, you it's like passive income, right? Like you buy two homes and then rent out the other one. So the, you know, the people living in it pay you. It's basically what is happening with Calvin Phillips, right? Man City have his contract. They're renting him out to West Ham, loaning him out. Um, and then West Ham cover all the costs, all his medical expenses, food, living, all that stuff, I imagine, right? I don't know the details, but, um, and then pay his wages, right? So just passive income for Man City. Yeah, yeah, because they're going to sell them eventually anyway, probably this summer. So, all right, um, do you want to talk any FCON Asian Cup or do you want to move on? I don't have much there, so it's up to you. Yeah, small note here, just uh, with where we're at with the AFCON Asian Cup, um, the AFCON is uh, at the two, one opponent or one team in each of the semifinals. Hard to say. Down to six teams. Um, 
Yeah, it's down to six teams. So Nigeria and DR Congo are both in the semis already. Um, there's some Premier League implications there with Alex Iwobi, Cal, uh, Frank Onyeka, uh, Ola Aina, and Calvin Bassi all in Nigeria, of course. DRC have Yohan Wissa who scored today for a peno. Um, so just some Prem players doing well, which you love to see. Also love to see DR Congo. Shout out Nick Harmon doing well. Um, and then the Asian Cup, Sunny's kicking along. South Korea's advanced to the semis. They're going to play Jordan in the semis, which is like... Asian Cup's definitely lower quality than AFCON. Um, and then it looks like it might end up being a Japan against South Korea final. So there's a couple big Japanese players like Watari Endo from Liverpool and uh, Tomiyasu and some good Japanese players. So it looks like it could, it could kind of work towards a um, uh, South Korea-Japan Japan final. That's like my prediction. Heard it here first. Nice, yeah. Only thing I had to add that I thought was really interesting, I saw that for AFCON this season... Um, the quarterfinals, the last eight teams, all eight teams were not in the quarterfinals at the last AFCON. <laughs> so eight new teams. That just shows <laughs> the turnover, the uh, I guess the the level of parity when it comes to these African nations that um, there's really no dominant force. I was actually looking at the history of AFCON. Me and uh, Nick Harmon were watching some of the games a couple weeks ago, and we were looking at past winners, and it's very spread out across nations. But it's insane to think, oh, wow, the, the final eight teams from – two seasons ago i guess it was it might have been three with no i think it was i think it was probably two but regardless um i think it was three because of the world cup anyway the the from the last afcon all eight teams are new so pretty crazy well, yeah that, that's cool like imagine if the world cup was like that you know it's like it's usually a lot of the same names you know or the euros it's i think you know that's that's exciting right it was exciting to see angola do so well the democratic republic of congo doing so well in this year's tournament cape so. verde like what the hell that, that yeah, one's that one's exactly. shocking so okay let's go to trivia hit me all right so I'm going to give you 90 seconds for this one. It's really straightforward, and it's very on topic for um, for, for what we talked about today, but also it's an interesting look back as well um, relevant to this season. So I think you should do pretty well here, but I'd be surprised if you're able to go all 10. There's, there's 10 names uh, here for 90 seconds. I'm, I'm thinking you should probably be able to get like six or seven at least. Um, we're going to start here in a second. So... What I'm looking for is the top 10 highest paid fees for incoming transfers to the Premier League this season. So 10 players that commanded the highest fees, all incoming transfers, not necessarily like, you know, international to domestic league that could, could be going from Premier League to Premier League team. But top 10 fees, I'll give you one hint. All of them were for the summer. There wasn't a single winter one that made it to the top 10. Got it. So, it, it, oh, just to clarify, am I guessing the fee or no? Nope, the players, the, player? the players. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. So we're gonna start. You ready? Uh, yeah. All right. Three, two, one. All right. I'm gonna say Rasmus Hoyland. Yes. Number five. Moises Kais Moises Caicedo. Yep. Number two. Pal Torres. No. Um, I'm gonna say um. Oh my God! What's the midfielder? Uh, Subozlai. Yes, he's um, number six. Declan Rice. Number one. Um, outgoings or ingoing, incomings? All incoming. Um. Okay. You have okay, a minute left. Okay, you have four. Okay. Um. All incoming. Wow. Okay. So you have the one, two, five, and six right now. 
Musa Diaby? Uh, no, he just missed. He was 13. Um, let's see. All right. I think they're add. all they're pretty much all big clubs. There's one guy that wouldn't be considered a big six club. Jeremy Jeremy Doku. Nope, he just missed. He's 12. 30 seconds. Um, who's in the Liverpool team? Gakpo. Nope. Um, no Liverpool left. Um, City Guardiol. Yep, he's number um, three. That's number five. You got 14 seconds. Um, Spurs. I've got Odogi. No. Um, you're not. You're not. I've on the right. got. Um, let me think. James Ward Prowse. No, time's up. Um. Okay, you got five. Um, I will say number seven through ten are pretty tough. So you missed all of those. And you missed number four. Um, you did name Jeremy Doku, who was number 12. Musa Diaby who was number 13. Uh, so a couple of guys that were close. Those were really the only guys you named that were close. Now, all the all the top 10, the lowest fee was 62 mil. Holy shit. Yep. So Holy shit. Now, I think... Um, let's see. It's Kai Havertz. I forgot about Kai Havertz. Yep, all midfielders. So Kai Havertz was number yeah. four. 75 mil. So you're missing number 7, 8, 9, and 10. All midfielders. So it's missing Kai Havertz. What about um, They're all Bukar Kamara? No. Again, he was a free. No, we got him on a free. What am I saying? And it wasn't last year. You're, you're, think about They're all big clubs. There's one club in here that I said well, that wouldn't be considered top six, but they're top six in terms of their, their budget right now. They're all between 62 and 64 million. I can give you, uh, I'll give you nationalities. There's an English player, an Italian player, a Belgian wow. player, and a wow. Portuguese player. Wow, there's a Belgian player and it's not Jeremy Doku? Nope. Um, he has not played hardly at all this season. I'm not sure if he has a single Premier League appearance. David Raya doesn't count on that because obviously he's Spanish and that he there wasn't a fee. It's a loan. Um, yeah. There's no Spurs. Nope. And there's no there's no Liverpool. No, you just so was um, high. You already named him. Yeah. So one's got to be on Chelsea, who I haven't named. Yes, um, there is one Chelsea player. Yeah. So who did Chelsea bring? I'll just give, let you know. There's a United. There's a Newcastle. There's a Chelsea, and there's a City. Oh, uh, okay, 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 okay. Um. Newcastle Barton Sandro Tonali. That's a yep. sneaky one. That's the Italian. Um, yeah, that's a sneaky one. Because um, yeah, he obviously is suspended now. Mm-hmm. Chelsea. Uh, the Chelsea one's on the hardest Chelsea. one, I would say. Yeah, who's on Chelsea? They brought in Desassi? Uh, no, this is the Dutch player. Or, uh, sorry, not Dutch, Belgian. Excuse me, Belgian. It's the hardest one. I wouldn't focus on this one, but you know Belgian. the player, but he hasn't played like at all this season. He's been hurt. He he's Belgian and he hasn't played for them. Oh, Lavia. Yeah. Um, and then, and then who else we got? We got someone from United and for someone from City. Someone need from United. It's definitely a United midfielder. Like I said, they're um, both midfielders. Okay. Okay. United and City. I'll say Mateus Nunez. Yeah, he's the City player. He's um, number ten, and then number seven. From Man United is 
from Man United, central midfielder. Also hasn't really played um, that much. Yeah, it's not Amrabat because he's alone. English. Um, it's he's in, oh um, Mason Mount. <laughs> yeah. So wow. that's part of the reason why I want to do this he, list. Where's he, where's he been? He's been where's hurt he a little bit, and uh, yeah. So this is why I wanted to do this list because I thought we could really quickly go down the line. And just, I don't want to spend a lot of time because obviously we're way over. Boomer bust? Pretty much, yeah. So number one, Declan Rice, 116 mil. Worth it. Definitely. Number two, Moises Casado, also 116 mil, slightly less. Reserving judgment. I'm going to say not worth it. Not worth it as of this moment. Agreed. I I would say it's going to be hard for him to live up to that. But he's very young. Um, Third was Josco Guardiol, 90 mil. Similar to Caicedo, I think they have enough depth. I, you, sure, like I would say, I, I don't hate it, but I don't love it. I think he's you good, know? but ninety mil is too much for a defender that it's going to be in your rotation. You got Stones, you got Diaz, you got Ake. I mean, he can play left back. Rico, Rico Lewis, right? Like I, I just good young players. I would say not worth it, but also could end up being a good player. Um, yeah, same with Caicedo. Right, uh, number four, Kai Havertz, seventy-five mil, Arsenal. I know you aren't uh, high on Havertz. I kind of nah. like him a little bit more in the central midfield role. I'll say I same as I same as last few transfers. Like, don't hate it, don't love it. It's over overpaid. He, I, I don't think he's that good. <laughs> I would have maybe given him like thirty five, forty, and they gave him seventy five. Um, number five, Rasmus Hoyland, seventy four mil. Uh so I think so. Again, I'm copping out here. Because um, I'm saying like the same thing for the last four. I don't think I can emphatically say like bust. Um, I, he's actually he actually looked really good against Wolves. This, this one week, I will so. agree with you on. Like I think it's I think you can say Kai Havertz is a bust. He's, we already seen him in the Premier League. Um, I I think that Hoyland could turn out to be good. But I'd, how it's old a is Havertz? Thing. Can we? Can um, we get I a radio believe he's like twenty three, twenty four maybe. Yeah, he's twenty four. He turns twenty five this. And summer. then how how old's Caicedo? Casado, I think, is 21. Let me check. Get out. Really? Uh, tw- he turned 22 in November. Okay, he so like they're, what, they're two years apart. I mean, those are they're still so young. I mean, they're six to eight years ahead of both of those. Six, eight, ten years ahead of both yeah, of those. Yeah, Kai Everts is so. two and a half years older than Casado, which is a, okay. a large amount. Um, okay. Yeah. But, I, yeah, Hoyland, I would say leaning towards – I mean, I think he's had been very underwhelming this year, but I think he could end up being good. So, I, I don't know. I would say – in the short-term bust because they needed a goal scorer right away, but course, long-term course, I think course, he could be good. Uh, number six, Sobolzai, 70 mil. Stud, stud. Amazing so player, good. I think. I think he might be the best on this list. Um, or best signing. Declan Rice is probably the best player. But Number seven, Mason Mount, 64 mil. Bust. Woof. Bust, gotta be. Woof. That right. one is tough. Oh, my God. I don't know how you can justify that one. Number eight, Sandra Tonali, 64 mil. Uh, you also gotta say bust just because of his suspension. Right. Um, number nine, Romeo Lavia, sixty-two mil. Yeah, that's you gotta say bust because he hasn't played. He is twenty. I I mean, yeah, he has sure, one appearance it, this season. Okay, so but but Chris, it's like they have Moises Caicedo who does the same thing. 
No, I think it was a stupid signing. I don't know if he's a bad player. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, definitely bust. Definitely bust. All right. And last. So, like, what's their what's their what's their midfield three going to be like five years from now? Enzo Fernandez, Moises Caicedo, and Romeo Lavia. Probably, which could be sick, honestly. <laughs> like in theory, that yeah, could be like, really it, good. I'll, right, but is that just decided for the next decade? Like, well, they're probably all on like eight to ten year what, contracts. So yeah. Exactly. If you're if you're any central midfielder at Chelsea, like get out. Yeah. You know? Well, they're going to get there. Gallagher is going to go. All right, and then. Last one, number ten, was Mateus Nunez at sixty-two mil. Yeah, uh, I'll say bust. I think he's just like not needed by that team. You know, like yeah, it's, it's just it's I, he's further. In I think the he's bust decent. Than, yeah, I think he's a decent player too. I just don't think I think he he's a very good box to box sort of number eight. I think he'd be you know would be would have been sick if Arsenal would have grabbed him instead of Kai Havertz. Yeah. That would have been great. Yeah. I think he fits in better in that sort of midfield, can carry the ball, advance the ball better than Kai Havertz can, um, and also has a goal threat. I just don't think he's kind of in a weird spot with that city team. He's the best position out wide in a midfield three, and city just don't play with a midfield three. Like Rodri kind of holds and underpins everything next to a inverted wing back. So okay. they play with like four attacking midfielders. Agreed, agreed. I, I agree with you on all accounts. No, I think that I'm having a really good time with this. I know we're going kind of over, but I just want to go through this list a little bit further because I think this is fascinating. And I just want to ask you to pick out who do you think the three best signings from the next 15 are? I'm going to rapid fire them. All these guys are between 40 and 60 mil. So it's not a huge difference in fees, right? Like all in the same kind of range. And I'm going to go from top to bottom. Um, So they're going to go from 60 down to 40. And I just want you to pick out three guys here that you would say were the three best signings. Because I think there's like three to four that stand out. Christopher Nkunku. Jeremy Doku. Musa Diaby. Brennan Johnson. Andre Onana. Mateus Cunha, Cole Palmer, James Madison, Axel DeSassi, Harvey Barnes, Mohamed Kudus, Alexis McAllister, Jurian Timber, Pedro Poro, Ryan Gravenberg. Those are the next 15. So there, I think there are some guys on there that are definitely better than the guys in the top 10. Like, undisputedly yeah. in my opinion yeah some of the same some guys in there who are like dream timber big signing injury just got cooked right away yeah and then like i would yeah. say like um andre onana 50 mil Ugh, that's not looking great and kunku hasn't really played so hard to say but most of the other guys on here have i would say like it's probably start start like, it's easy to start making some opinions on them um yeah so wait question for Question for you: Pal, Was Pal Torres in the top ten when I guessed earlier? Uh, he's not on this list because no. he was a higher fee than Diaby. I'm like ninety percent sure. Wasn't Diaby like Diaby is fifty five? This is according to transfer marks. Um, I wonder what Torres's transfer was because I may be claiming an extra point on trivia. If, no, uh, there's no way. He, it says there's no way he was more than sixty. So there's, it's not. Wasn't he more expensive? Thirty-three than, mil than, was his fee. Uh, okay. At least initial. Okay, I'm fee. questioning the. I'm questioning the exchange rates there. I mean, this uh, is this is the source from, I use for most transfer stuff. I feel like they've been pretty good, but they're obviously like when it comes to transfers, fees are reported differently in different outlets sometimes. Yeah. But thirty-three. It's, yeah. There's no way he was more than sixty-two, so he would not have been top ten. Fair. 
Okay, fair. I think from that list, though, Chris, to your question, the players I like the most from that list, really, I mean, I think the Cole Palmer business is. Yep, that's the one so that good. stood he's out the be, most to me too. Forty-seven. Yeah, he's got to be the best one from that list. English as well. He's going to be good for the next decade easily. Muhammad um, Kudus, I really liked from that list. Yep, forty-three mil as well. Um, and then I was kind of torn on who else I would say. There's one obvious is, one for me in my like that I think, but. It, yeah, I know. You're going to say Madison, no. but I'll say... No, I was not. Um, I like Poro from that list. I think Poro's been a mainstay of that I think Poro's team good. And, and, uh, and was good business. I think uh, who, uh, Madison's 27 and he's injury prone. I think he's a great player, but that's not what I was I was going to say, undoubtedly, Alexis McAllister, which makes me... The reason why I, I wanted to ask you that was because of Cole Palmer, who is an aberration from all the Chelsea business that we saw at the top of the list where like this guy looks like he's every bit worth the money and Alexis McAllister and Dominic Sobelzai together I mean are you kidding me in the same window like they, they paid for McAllister they paid uh, 40 Gra- Birch as well is yeah I don't yeah but that's the thing I don't really rate Graven Birch that much but McAllister 42 mil like and we're talking about Romeo Lavia at sixty two, Tonali sixty four, Mount sixty four, yeah, Havertz yeah. seventy five. I, I get a good player. McAllister is just interesting for me. I again, I, I he's a good player. I'm not going to say think anything he's so bad good. about McAllister. I, I just I, I'm always confused on what his best position is, and maybe that's just maybe I need to watch him more. So I think he's amazing. I'll. I'll I'll own that as the co-host here. I'll yeah, well, next time you watch him, after Sunday against Arsenal, let me know what you think. Him and Sobelzai, though, you've signed two guys in the same window who are just going to be mainstays in that team for the next five years, I would think. Like, that's that's yeah. some good business from Liverpool. Well, let's, that's a good segue into the fixtures this weekend, Chris. Let's fire off our predictions um, for the three that we've listed out because that's what we do. Um, we got Brighton Palace, Saturday, 10 a.m. Eastern. What do you think? Yeah, picked one from each day. Big rivalry. Um, I do think Brighton might bounce back a little bit from that Luton thrashing. Uh, it looks like Eze is going to be doubtful for Palace. Elise is expected to probably play. Um, if they don't, if they both don't play Brighton at home, I'd have to go Brighton. So I'm just going to tentatively say two one Brighton. It just really yeah, depends like on the stats pick. of those guys. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, I think Brighton win either way. I think they bounce back and. Um... And Palace can't score unless they're both for sure going to play, and I don't think they are. So I'm going to say 2-0 Brighton. Hodgson did say that Munoz and Wharton could both make their debut, though, which is cool. All right. Um, which is cool. Sunday, biggest match of the weekend, 11.30 a.m. Eastern, Arsenal at home against Liverpool. Massive match. Yeah, I think it's going to be really good. Um, Arsenal at home is key. It's really tough to call this game. I have no idea where it's going to go. I like it like a 1-1 draw. I think it's going to be. I mean, I think Arsenal. Their strength has been in their defense this season. Um, they've they've been pretty solid at the back. Uh, Saliba and Gabriel and Ben White, very very all solid defensively. And you end Zinchenko. Um, they haven't really scored a lot of goals, but Liverpool play high octane football with a lot of chances in their games. So I expect it to be goals in this one. I do think Liverpool is just playing at a different level right now. I'm going to go 3-2 Liverpool, but I think this this has the potential to be one of the best matches of the season. Yeah, it's definitely got potential. We'll see. And then last one, Monday, Brentford against City. Um, I like, in this picture, I'm just going to grab it and, and go first. Um, I like City 
to uh, to win at Brentford. But Brentford, you know, I think Ivan Tony nicks a goal. I think 3-1 City. Uh, De Bruyne back. City are carving teams up again. He had a, a sick assist on a set piece to Julian Alvarez. Um, they're back. Holland is probably going to be starting, it sounds like. I think that's the coming out party. We haven't seen De Bruyne and Holland start together since... Have we seen that all season? I don't think we have in the Premier League. So um, that's going to be very exciting. I think City thrash Brentford 4-0, and Thomas Frank is officially on the hot seat. Wow, that's a take. Well, you heard it here first, gang. Uh, Chris, That's um, I'll wrap us up here just to get us out of here. As always, gang, um, if you can give us a shout on Twitter, um, at... Uh, goes to show pod um, and as well if you can write review give us feedback um, anywhere you listen to your podcast and consume your podcast it helps us we appreciate it I haven't done that at the end of the pod in a while so give us a five star review if you can Um, or less if you think that we need to get better we are open to feedback Um, (laughs) any reviews (laughs) and uh, any any reviews are good Um, but uh, I appreciate it and as always just goes to show everybody's human thanks for listening guys